people what is happening you're listening to josh talks this week on the podcast i had frank hickman now that name might seem a wee bit familiar and that's because i had his brother george on a few weeks ago so if you haven't got a chance to listen to that make sure you give it a listen we'll talk about both of their careers we'll talk about how you know george george went over and competed he won the trials at tiger muay thai later became the mma coach frank then came over to teach wrestling we'll talk about what fighters they've worked with we'll talk about frank working at the Ultimate Fighter on the Volkanovski camp. We talk about so much. We talk about Dan Hooker. We talk about Adesanya. We talk about Taito Avasa. We talk about so many big UFC stars. We talk about his story so far and how it's only just beginning. We talk about UFC cars that are coming up and we get him to break down what he thinks is going to happen. So make sure you keep listening and make sure you share with a friend. This is how this podcast is going to keep growing. Make sure you're sharing, make sure you follow, make sure you're liking, commenting, make sure you leave me a good review on Apple Podcasts. Now let's begin. Welcome to Josh Thomas. Well, man, it's great to have you on. How are you? I'm good, brother. Thank you for having me. I appreciate the time. Oh, not a problem. So tell me about your day today. What did that insist of? I know you're only starting, uh, really. Well, I usually I get up in the morning. Um, I usually get a lift in at the apartment complex I'm staying in, um, get my coffee in me, don't really eat breakfast, and then I usually do a private in the morning. Uh, this morning I went with Jeremy Kennedy, who fights um, featherweight for P no, excuse me, for Bellator. Um, I helped Jeremy did some wrestling and then I went to a syndicate and we did uh, Tuesday, Thursday, they have sparring. So we did our sparring rounds and stuff like that. Um, did that for about an hour, 15, hour and a half showered at the PI and then dropped off Kevin, who's uh, one of the managers for Ruby. He's one of his assistants, Kevin and Gion at the bubble. And then I go into the bubble Thursday night after I teach. So um, just pretty simple so far. And then I'll relax a bit and then I'll go on later this evening, maybe do another private and then teach, teach again at um, 730 wrestling. Do you find that you're away most weekends cornering then? Um, depends on when it is or depends who's fighting. I was in Miami for in the BFL. Uh, two weeks before last, I was home last week, and then I'll corner this weekend. But this is, you know, this is Vegas. This is uh, this will be pretty close. Um, and then I'll go home for a week to see my niece, who's in from Thailand. Then I get back, and then a week later is when uh, Volkanovski, Hooker, uh, Eugene, and then Joe and, and those boys get over. So the Anzacs get over here a week before they fight on the twenty fifth. That's another one that's here. So I don't have to travel, which is nice. The week after that, Casey O'Neill fights Antonina. That's here in Vegas. That's nice. You know, I don't really have to travel for that. Um, so I'm not sure the exact exactly when the next time is I will travel, to be honest. Um, you know, I've been now that Vegas is like a hub for everything. You kind of have everything here. You know, they're having everything here because they can they already have their system, I guess you can say, set up. They have their hotel. They have the bubble, they have the staff, they have the protocol, they have their schedules and how they go about stuff. So that's pretty, it's pretty convenient just having everything here. So say, say, for example, if you wanted to travel over to Thailand at the minute, 
and, and see your brother and obviously do work over there, would it be an easy process of getting into the country or is it still pretty complicated? Um, it'd be pretty, I don't really think it would be that difficult. I think you would just have to apply for the visa at the whatever consulate and then you apply for it. And then, you know, once you get it, you know, you have your flights and that you have to book your sandbox, your Phuket sandbox, which is, I believe it's 10 to 14 days, but it's not technically a quarantine because you can stay on the Island and go out and about throughout the day. But from 11 to 9, 11 o'clock at night, to 9 a.m. every morning, you have to be at your hotel and you have to stay there. But other than that, you can move about during the day and stuff like that. So, you know, um, that's how you'd be able to get in. I don't think it would be too difficult. Just might cost you a little bit, you know, just a flight in the hotel. Yeah, I think Northern Ireland's pretty much the same. Like at the minute, people are still coming in and out. The only difference is we don't allow travel to red listed countries. So that's probably where COVID's bad. And then... If you do come back on holiday or wherever you're coming, it's like a two-week where you just to stay inside, not to leave. And then obviously you get all your, your tests to make sure that you don't have it. Yes, sir. How is how is Northern Ireland with everything going on? At the minute, we're the worst in the UK um, yeah. for COVID. Doesn't surprise me. At, at the minute. But a lot more people are getting vaccinated and stuff. So they've started to roll out the, the vaccination program and, and started to do that. Like I was pretty fortunate. So I work in the health service. So I got my vaccine pretty quickly. Yeah. But it's okay. Like I, I haven't really noticed life change that much, obviously, because it's been going on that long now. It sort of just is, you know, become normality. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I've had this conversation with numerous people. I got the vaccine, you know, I got it back in, um, early April and then again the second dose here uh, in Vegas of the Moderna I mean if you want to get it get it if not I mean I understand your view as well you know um, I guess it's a choice that you that you make you know so not saying it's bad not saying it's good it's up to you you know but uh, you know a lot of these countries and a lot of these big cities are starting to really like push for it to make it mandatory as far as if you want to get back to life and do shit like that which I don't really agree with man um especially, you know, I'm by no way any conspiracy theorist, but like everything that's going on as far as how this has all came to be, how they've rushed into it, how they've all the higher ups in the government have said, you know, when you do, when they do get a vaccine, who's going to take it and stuff like that. They kind of like shot themselves in the foot with it. And now they're trying to force everybody. Hey, look, you should. Um, I kind of think they're going about it, you know, the wrong way. They're really pushing for it so hard and so fast um i can't blame people for for not wanting to get it or for being pretty hesitant you know i looked at it when i got it i was like look 31 i'm in some of the best shape of my life like i put worse shit in my body so you know i guess i'm gonna need it to travel if i want to go to new zealand or australia or back to thailand you're gonna need it or at least make it easier for you to live so yeah all right you know but man, they're really pushing something that has such a high survival rate, you know what I mean? And you try to stay out of the media of it and try to just like have your own opinion of it. But it's hard sometimes when one side's pulling one way and one side's pulling the other, you know, like I said, it's a choice that everybody's going to make, but you know, now that they're making it to where you're going to, they're wanting you to really push and really get it. It does. 
it does make you think a bit about it, you know? I think you're probably in a more unique situation than most people because your job involves you traveling so much. Like I've seen recently, like, uh, is it the Gaethje Chandler fight? That that might be yeah. in jeopardy now because Chandler doesn't have the second vaccine or something? Um, that's what I had read. That's what he had said. I saw Chandler say that. However, the, actually this morning I'd heard somebody say that New York City waived um, – they waived the vaccine, mandatory vaccine for the athletes. Mm-hmm. So saying that if, if the athletes don't have to have it, if you have it, great. If you don't, it's not going to put you in jeopardy of fighting. That's, that's what I'd heard this morning. So, you know, I hope that's really the case um, for the fans and stuff. You have to be, but for the athletes and that they're saying that that's um, they're not, it's not going to make or break you because I'd heard Dana White say before, he's not going to make his athletes get it. Um, He's like, I'm not going to make them get it. That's a choice that they can make for themselves. You know, everybody has a different opinion. Everybody has a different religious view on it. You know, some, mm-hmm. some religions don't allow vaccines and stuff like that. So you can't, that's a, you know, when you start talking about stuff like that, it becomes real iffy and it becomes a difficult situation for not only the athlete, but also the UFC and the PR as well. You know, you got to be able, you got to be pretty smart with how you approach these things. And I think they wouldn't, they would go about it the right way by doing that. And I would think if worse comes to worse and they say, well, they do have to get it, well, they would just say, all right, we'll just scratch Madison Square Garden. We'll just move to Vegas. Yeah. You know, you know, Vegas is always a fallback spot. You know, I couldn't tell you this was supposed to be in London this weekend, but now look, it's in, it's in Vegas again, you know? So they always have that luxury of just, boom, let's just put it in Vegas. You know, if we can't get it in a, a crowd, well, we're getting it at Apex, you know? So, yeah. you know, they have that capability. Yeah. So, Back home here in Northern Ireland, I, I don't know if you would follow uh, football or soccer, whatever you want to call it, but we hosted like, it was basically like the winners of the Champions League, which is like the biggest competition in Europe versus the winners of the Euro- European Super League. And that was held in Northern Ireland. So the way you get into the event was everyone had to show that they were double vaccinated. So you had to bring a card to say that you were double vaccinated. You handed that in. But if you didn't have the card, you had to produce a negative COVID test. Yep. And then that, that was the way they done it. And I thought it worked quite well. I would say the only probably issue was maybe time getting into the ground. You know, obviously that was a, a lot more increased. But other than that, I thought it worked quite well. Yeah. Yes, sir. Um, yeah. Again, man, it's everywhere is different. You know, I'm fortunate in, in, in Thailand. I got to give them credit at the beginning. They did a great job of containing it man, they did an awesome job of stopping it. At one point we were nearly almost a year in 10 months in, and we had like 65, maybe 71 deaths. Again, some of it, they could have not been reporting. However, to everybody, you know, I was like, man, they're doing a damn good job of this. And then all hell broke loose when they caught like the Burm, the Burmese, like the Myanmar migrant workers coming over to work in Thailand and they were coming through the border and like the cops and the police were taking bribes at the border. And, and then it kicked off like at a seafood market near Bangkok. And then from there, like all hell broke loose. It just spread like wildfire. And now, excuse me, wildfire. And now they're just, they're getting, you know, when I look at Twitter, they're getting probably sometimes like 180 to 200 deaths a day from the COVID and stuff like that. And there's a lot of pressure on, prime minister to step down to resign there's like protests in bangkok 
the police are turning on everybody. <laughs> They're shooting rubber bullets. There's like it's it's like pandemonium, man. It's um it's some pretty pretty hectic shit going on, you know. And there's no tourism right now, which is disappointing because tourism 75, 80% of 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 Thailand's income, especially in Bangkok, but especially in Phuket, you know, Phuket is a tourist destination. And then you fast forward and you come to the States and everybody was like, oh man, there were so many deaths at the beginning and blah, blah, blah. But now, which that was unfortunate, but now, you know, things are starting to get back to normal a bit. People are getting the vaccines and some aren't, but you know, a lot of places you don't have to wear a mask. Some you do. Um, and it's, you know, of course they got this new Delta variant coming along, which, you know, I think is complete bullshit, but it is what it is. Um, so it's just different everywhere, man. You know, everywhere goes about a different. New Zealand just went to a two-week lockdown. They extended it another two weeks. So that's a month of a lockdown. Australia lost the plot. They fell out, you know, stuff like that. So, oh, man, it's just – unfortunately, on my side of the world where I do most of my, my business and I the majority of the athletes that I train, you know, I necessarily can't – can't get to them and stuff like that. The only time I'm able to see them is really when they come stateside, which is a, it's a bummer, you know? Yeah. It's, it's crazy. You mentioned Australia there. So I, one of my friends will be over there. He said he's trading over there at the minute. Alan Philpop. Yeah. I know Philpop. Yeah. He's a good guy. He was telling me like, and I think he's, he was finding it quite hard, you know, like, cause he was afraid if he came home, he wouldn't get back into Australia and then, yeah. you know, not being able to get a fight. Cause there's no, there's no cards in Australia at the minute. There's no cars, you know, Eternal, which is the best fight promotion in um, in Australia, can't – they'll have one, then they won't. The one will get scratched, and the next one will get scratched, and it'll get pushed back. So, yeah, man, I do feel – I feel for the fighters. I feel for the coaches, for a lot of the gyms and stuff. And so it is disappointing, man, because they're very, very, very strict on how they go about things and how they do their business, and and it's it's just unfortunate. So we'll move on and ask about this. How did your journey first start? Uh, my journey first started in, when it was in 2017. Is when I moved from uh, Atlanta, Georgia, where I was selling cars and doing finance. I moved to Phuket, Thailand to help my brother run the MMA program at Tiger Muay Thai right there in Phuket. So, you know, we had talked about it for some time and, he was doing the MMA and the wrestling and he goes, you know, if you come over, I can focus on the MMA and you can focus on the wrestling and then we can just build it from there. So that's what I did. You know, I put the car on Craigslist, um, told my job, gave him a notice, finished out, you know, I did gave him like to two months and then, yeah, that was it. May 5th, 2017, I landed in Phuket. And then we just kind of got to work with everything. You know, that's when I started to get my foot in the door and um, started running the classes and stuff like that. And, you know, before COVID, we had in the mornings, we had like an intermediate beginner class. That was mostly for like travelers, people on holiday, people coming through, that, you know, wanted to get some work in. Um, they did, we did sparring a couple of days a week and then we did the wrestling two days a week. And then at four o'clock, we had our, pro class which was like our fighters and everything like that so we ran we did those two classes a day and then 
of course you had other stuff that you wanted to do, but that's, that's how I got started was, was in 2017. Um, and then from there, I just haven't really looked back. You know, I've been fortunate and blessed to be able to meet up with certain teams and be around certain athletes and individuals and coaches that have helped like guide me and like push me in different directions. And as far as, you know, um, making things work and yeah, man, I've been very, um, like I said, I've been very fortunate for how things have kind of fell in line for me. Um, and it's, you know, it's good working with your brother, you know, you don't really have any issues and stuff like that. So we get along fine, man. We never really argue. And if we do, it's, you know, it's pretty, pretty petty. I guess you could say it's nothing that ever really comes to blows. So, um, just now I'm in Vegas, you know, I'm in Vegas right now because kind of got stuck over here, to be honest, came over here for the fights in April, you know, uh, Peter and Israel fought and then there was a break. Brad was supposed to fight. Volk was supposed to fight. COVID happened. Those fights got scratched. Then I stayed, went home for about eight days, was going to go back to Thailand. And then uh, Alex got asked to be a coach on the Ultimate Fighter. And he asked me if I wanted to join him. And of course, you know, I said, absolutely. Did that for six weeks. I had an awesome, phenomenal time. The boys just fought this, the boys just fought this past weekend. Um, Brian Battle at, at middleweight and Ricky at um, Bantamweight. Both got it done. They both got contracts. So well job, job well done to them. Um, Brian fought Gill, who's another guy from our team, extremely talented. He'll be fine. You know, Ricky fought Brady. Brady, that fight was a great, great fight, man. It was back and forth. Both guys, they really got into it. Um, they put it out there. So hopefully Brady will get his shot down the line. And, um, yeah, man, I was – and then from there it carried on, went to Arizona. You know, Brad and Israel fought in Arizona. Um, went home for a couple of weeks, and then, you know, I could have went back, and then I was asked to come help Gion, who fights this weekend, finish her camp. And then while I was here, you know, while I'm here, I said uh, I'd help out at Syndicate. So I've been, you know, coaching wrestling and kind of helping at Syndicate with some of the fighters and stuff like that while I can. Great, great gym, great people, you know, very hospitable, you know, but nothing but welcoming for it. And, and you know, I've, I've had this discussion with people, you know, Vegas is a good place to be right now, I guess you could say, with everything going on. It's um, they're always going to have these fights in Vegas, if, you know, if they stop having the fights in Vegas, I don't really know where they would happen to be honest, because Vegas is like their, it's like home base. You know, you got the apex right across the street. You got the PI. So you got everything you really need here, the treatment, the food, the, the training facilities, accessibility, the recovery and everything like that. Um, so I'm enjoying it while I can. It's still nice. It's still hot, which I like. And um, yeah, I'm in the States for a bit. It's nice being in the States for a bit. You know, you take, for granted the, the simple things you get like you know when you're stateside so i'm um, i'm enjoying it while i can did you get a chance to, to go over to fight island i did i got a chance to get over to fight island um alex fought holloway uh the the holloway versus vault rematch was on fight island and then as well Raphael fought peter young fought so I was able to get over there for that, like when they first had it, which was cool. It was cool, but they, they fought the first two weekends and then we had to stay another three and a half weeks, another two weeks on the island. And then another like 
10 days in Dubai because of like the, the flights coming back to Thailand, there was only like one or two a month. So it was pretty hectic, man. You know, we were there for quite some time. <laughs> then we got back to Thailand and we did our two week quarantine. And then, so, but I enjoyed Fine Island. I thought it was a great setup. I thought it was great hospitality, um, awesome venue. A bit difficult with the times of fighting and stuff like that for the guys, which I think it kind of took a toll on them a bit. But n- nonetheless, they got it done, and it was – and, um, yeah, they've, they've done a great job with the fight island. You know, some people don't like it. They say it's too hot. Well, rather be hot than cold. You know, it's um, they're still getting it done. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's about the boys, the guys being able to fight put on a performance and, you know, make money for them and their families and stuff like that. So as long as they're fighting and stuff like that, you know, I have no issues with it. I, I back it a hundred percent. I'm glad they're being able to still stay active throughout this whole, you know, crisis that's been going on. What what time was it there when they were fighting? I think Alex fought, Peter fought 730, eight o'clock. And then Alex fought right after him. So it was a struggle, man, at the beginning. When we got there, you know, we all met. We were like, look, we got to start getting up at – we were getting up at, like, 4, 4.30 every morning. And, and, like, relaxing a bit, waking the body up, drinking coffee, having a sweat out, and then, you know, going back to sleep. Or, like, you know, I don't really – I'm not good at sleeping. My ADHD is always on the go. So I was like <laughs> – I was up and then, you know, you go to bed at like seven, eight o'clock at night. Then you get up again the next day, like early. Then they got like the race cars kicking off next door at the track. Cause you're right by the Richard Mooley track. And it was, it was a bit chaotic, but I mean, what could you do? You know, that's, that's what they had said. That's what they put in place for it. That was the, the guidelines and stuff. So you just had to go with them and, you know, you just had to try to get on that schedule as quick as you could. And, you know, that's what we tried to do. But it was early morning fights. I don't know if it was this fight island, but was there not something about uh, Volk and Aussie getting tested very, very early in the morning? Yeah, that was uh, that was fight island. Um, I was we were like next door to him, and um, when my buddy Ash, who runs Engage, we were talking, and we walk out in the hallway, and there's this guy standing at the door, and Ash was like, "Hey, bruv, can I help you?" And then, like, Joe, Uncle Joe opens the door, and then the guy's like, oh, I'm here to test, like, I'm here to test Alex. And Uncle Joe was like, what do you mean, kind? And then Uncle Joe just started, like, full feeding this guy and was just like, this is ridiculous. You're coming by. It's literally 1045, 11 o'clock at night, maybe a bit later. He's like, they, he's got to get up in, like, five hours. He's like, he's sleeping, blah, blah, blah. Why would you come by this time? And, like, Uncle Joe was going in on him, and he was giving this guy a piece of his mind, which fair one to him. Like, they kind of set the guy up to walk into a fucking landmine because, you know, Joe was probably half asleep as well. You know, Joe needs his beauty sleep. And when you wake him up, man, Joe just came to the door and just lit into this guy. And um, it, it it was – and then, you know, it took Volk a bit to take a – finally be able to piss. And then he had to kind of – and he had to get back to sleep and stuff like that. You know what I mean? It wasn't a good look. Um it really wasn't, man. But, uh, yeah, that was something that was pretty – I couldn't believe they really did that either, you know, especially pick a time like that. You could have waited till the morning when he woke up, first thing, you know, take a piss but or piss him when he gets to the arena. But, 
you know, or come earlier. But man, they came at about eleven o'clock that night. The boys were not happy about it. Did they give you a reason of, of why that time? No, they didn't. And you know, honestly, I don't want to like overstep my boundaries and say and like put words in anybody's mouth. But I, I don't know why they said that. I think maybe they just said, "Oh yeah, we're testing everybody this time." But uh, fuck, I don't know if they're bullshitting us or not. But it was just a bizarre time to be doing it, man. Um, maybe they thought Alex wasn't asleep yet or something like that, but <laughs> he was. So, yeah, that was one for the books, man. Uh, I'll be honest with you. That one was that was a difficult situation. Have you found it as, as being a coach like with, with, with no fans? Is it easier? Is it harder? Is it different? You know, what's it like? Uh, you can definitely hear a lot more of what's going on. Like, you can hear all the punches, everything. You can hear the co- their coach's corner for the most part. Like, you can – you hear everything, though. Like, even, like, when they, like, shuffle their feet. Like, you can hear everything, you know, before with the crowds and stuff like that. That's why I'm excited about the crowds coming back in um, for September 25th, man, because, like, it's going to be a better atmosphere and stuff like that. I think it takes the boys a bit longer to maybe get going because I think they count on that adrenaline. From the crowds, like at the beginning, you know, when they started to get going and stuff, but I think it it takes them a bit longer to maybe get going, to speed up and stuff like that. But from a coach's point of view, it's just different. You know, it's much more quiet, and you can really, like, see and hear everything. Obviously, you can see everything. You can just hear everything. Um, the thuds, the shots, the guys breathing and stuff like that, um, everything's much more, like, kind of and it's like more closed off you know it's just right there you got the people on the side you know you got the commentators the commentators are pretty loud because that's their job obviously they're supposed to sit there and gas the fight up and yell and stuff like that but definitely took a bit to get used to man you know um when the boys fought in arizona it was much better because it was a crowd we get the crowd could get behind the guys so i'm looking forward to that happening this time around because i hope i hope that really does help it's been a weird experience, I think, for, for fans as well, watching on TV. The one thing that I would say I noticed is it's a lot more real, if that makes yeah. sense. You know, like, like you were saying, like you, like you hear the shots, and it almost sounds like a bat's being swung. Yeah, you can definitely hear the shots. You know, Rafael fought um, on his first fight island. He fought the guy from England. You heard, like, the kicks. Like, you heard, like, the smacks. You heard... And it's like you said, it sounded like like a bat. It sounded like a piece of lumber, like hitting somebody and stuff like that. Like everything's much more, um, I guess. Yeah, like you said, it's just louder. You know, the shots are just louder. You can hear everything. Um, so from that standpoint, that it is, man. It's different. It's much more kind of like not eerie, but it's much more like switched on because you're right there. Before, you know, like I said, you crowd, everything, you get behind it. Sometimes you can't even hear yourself really, like, yell. Like, you really got to get into it and stuff like that. But here, man, you could sit from anywhere, you know. It must have been some night seeing Volk and, and Peter win the same night. Yep. Yes, sir. So uh, that was, like, the first main card back. Usman had fought. It went Peter, Volk, and then Usman. Um, that was like the order. So that was a cool card to be a part of just because it was the first one back from all the COVID. You know what I mean? It was the first card that they were actually going to, they actually put on and they had three title fights. And, you know, there were some great, great fights on the undercard and stuff like that. So it was a good one to be a part of. Man. I love seeing a, 
John's video of, uh, I don't know if you've seen it, I mentioned this last week, is uh, John's video when it was Peter versus uh, Aldo. And he was saying to him, like, do it for your family. Do it for your family. Yeah. And then the, yeah, around later, he goes in, stops him. Yeah. John, John, Boy, John Boy and Peter have a great relationship. You know, people ask me, like, who Peter Young's head coach would be. And I tell people, be John Boy. You know, I think John Boy and him created a relationship. You know, and everybody, you know, every athlete has a coach for whatever. You know, Peter has his SNC guy. Peter has a wrestling guy. You know, but as far as like striking and who is like his head coach would be, if somebody was to ask me, which I've told people, I think it's John Boy. You know, John Boy and him created a relationship. They started working together before he fought in Chicago. He fought um, Jimmy Rivera, but before Jimmy Rivera, he fought Dodson. And I think he was like helping him with Dodson, you know, it might even have been before that, but. Um, you know, and then he helped him with the favor, and then it was the auto and everything like that. So, you know, he's he's definitely been he's definitely been in his corner for quite some time. And you know, his last fight, he was there for him and stuff like that. Even though it didn't it didn't go his way, you know, he was he was he was there for him. You know, he came over with him and stuff like that. So, um, him and John Boy got a great relationship. John Boy talks to him in like his Irish accent. Um, no disres- no disrespect. I call him Pikey Boxing. <laughs> um, and he talks, he's hey, 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 over the bridge, and he does his. Peter picks up on it, and I look over him, and like John Boy's like taking kicks in the stomach with his like belly shield, and then like Peter do like a combo, and he'll drop down and like grab a leg and lift him. John Boy gets right into it, so I got to give him credit, man. Like John Boy's really stepped outside the box when it comes to helping Peter. And not only that, man, he's a great boxing coach for MMA. You know he watches film he studies he like breaks things down he studies his opponents he watches his opponents previous fights and shit like that sorry i sprayed my cat so like john boy does a hell of a job really does his homework man so um hoping those two can link up for this one you know for the before he has his rematch with all jermaine because um yeah man we all know how that fight went last time unfortunate shit happens but you know but um, the rematch would be great, and I'm looking forward to it. I think in terms of the last fight, he was looking very, very comfortable. Yeah. He was um, looking very, very good up until that, that that one moment. The one thing, I don't know if you can speak on this, but I'll speak on it for you. The one thing that I, I didn't like about the whole thing was after it happened, there was crying in the ring. There was, I don't want to win it like this. I didn't want to do it like this moment later, you know, he's, he's got the fur coat on, belt around the waist, and he's like, I'm the champion now. Yeah. Um, doing shots. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I can't speak on it. It is it is what it is. You know, shit happens. Um, unfortunate. I'm looking forward to the rematch. But, you know, Edgermaine Sterling is a good fighter, man. He's a great athlete. You know, he's very dangerous in a lot of positions. Um you got to look at it from his perspective, you know, um, and his perspective, or even if, even from like one of his coaches' perspective, you know, you see the way the fight's going. Guy gets hit with a legal knee. It was a hard knee, unintentional by every means. I think just got overwhelmed, flustered, caught up in the moment. You know, that wasn't the first time in that fight he was in that position or he had gotten himself there. But, you know, rules are there in place for a reason. Shit happened. Um, and, and then, you know, when it went down, you know, 
when the guy gets the belt, he's going to be getting pay-per-view money for it. Um, you know, like I said, it's not really my business to speak on it, but you know, they'll, they'll settle their score. It'll, it'll be a great fight. Like I said, he's a dangerous opponent. Um, he, he knows where he's good, but you know, we all know what Peter's good. So it'll be, it'll be interesting to see like how it goes, how it takes place, you know, because he came out with a crazy pace at the beginning. He had, he had a hard and a high, high intense pace, but you know, Peter, I think stuff, what was it? One of 16, he was one of 16 for takedowns. And then Peter got seven out of seven of his own takedowns. So like, when you look at it from that point of view, it's kind of, you know, and then, but that's neither here nor there. Well, um, they'll have a good one in October. And that's another good card as well. You know, the big fella, Tui Vasa's on that card. Islam, Islam Makachev's on that card. You got, um, who else? Uh, Lahovich at 205. They're having a title fight. You know, they got, they got some good fights on that card as well. So that's another one that, that the people, I think, are looking forward to seeing. How good did Ty look in his, his last fight coming out to the Spice Girls and and yeah, winning yeah. in devastating fashion? Yeah, he looked awesome. He looked phenomenal, man. That's his personality. He's always picked like a walkout song like that to like, get the crowd in him and behind him. And came out, threw some heavy leg kicks, man. They all landed. And then, you know, like Ty said it perfectly, you know, you want to stay in the bang. I'm the wrong, wrong guy to do that with. Pick another bloke. And he was right. Um, I'm happy that he's he's got three in a row under his belt, man. Uh, all first round finishes, so you know he's full steam ahead. Uh, and this fight coming up with Wall Harris is another good test for him. But you know, I think this is a fight that Ty can again showcase his true talents and what he's really capable of, and walk away with a bonus as well. So um, I'm excited for that one, man. How does it work over at uh, Tiger Muay Thai? Like, so say, for example, that you're coaching your, your MMA classes and one of your fighters say, well, can you corner me for this fight in America? Do you just get leave for that or, or what ways it work? Um, that's something between like, that's something between the fighter and I. Like we, we talk about it, we discuss it um, on what's best for him and how we want to go about things. But for the most part, like, Again, like I'm just a wrestling coach, man. So, you know, I focus the majority on the wrestling point of things. Um, I'm also the guy who will like rock up to your house and make sure we're there on time. Or, like I'll get the coffee going or whatever it is. Or like I'll have the spot. All right, let's all meet for breakfast here, have our coffee, give us enough time. And then we'll get going at this time, stuff like that. But, you know, I try not to get involved with all the other stuff and, um, because at the end of the day, usually when I'm training these guys or if they ask me to corner and help them, they're my friends, you know, before yeah. anything. Before you're my athlete, like, I, you know, I have a good relationship with you. So I try to focus on that more than the other stuff. Because once you get caught up in that other stuff, it's kind of – can get kind of like, you know, in the gray area, you know. So I, I try to avoid that. I just know, like, look, as far as the wrestling goes, man, these are the positions we'll focus on. This is what we need to get sharp in. Let's get our cardio up. Let's build from this stuff. And then, you know, an example, John Boy handles the boxing part of things and stuff. You know, my brother do the MMA part of things. Um, they need to get some, some like, jiu-jitsu and grappling and stuff like that. We'll address that as it goes. But, you know, everybody's different. So that's how. But, you know, no longer with Tiger. Um, no bad blood. But, uh, yeah. yeah, it's uh, – it's, um, 
that's that's how we go about things. What do you think it is about Thailand that there's so many world class fighters want to go over there? Probably because of the weather. It's a nice environment, man. It's sunny. It's warm year round. Um, usually everything's outside. Like your training facilities outside, man. Like so, you don't have to worry about like being inside and stuff. Even if it rains, if it's pissing rain, it's still you got rain guards. It's humid. You ride around on a scooter. I mean, you, there's there's a lot of things really that you you can't really find a lot of things to bitch at over there. To be honest with you, like. If you're like not happy with something, then just go to the top, look up the street, pay 700 baht, which is like 22 bucks, and just hit pads with them for an hour. Like, just get a hell of a workout and then go get a massage for 15 bucks, like stuff like that. I mean, like, the food's cheap. You can always find healthy food. The locals are nice. The people are nice. You know, it's, um, it's a good spot. It's a good spot. Have you definitely seen sort of, I wouldn't say the culture, but would you say that? A lot more kids in Thailand are getting in the MMA now. I'd like to think so. You know, I'd like to hope so. There's always going to be like the old school mentality of, you know, Muay Thai is the way. And, you know, no disrespect. Muay Thai is their, is their national sport. It's their traditional sport. But, you know, I think more kids or more Muay Thai fighters are starting to realize that, you know, there's other things just in Muay Thai, not only from a fighting point of view, but also from like a – like a, a money point of view, like you can get more money in, in, in MMA. You can make more money fighting in MMA, you know? You can, you can get like, your name can get bigger. You can branch out more. You can travel more with it. You can open more doors and more opportunities for you. So, I, I'd like to think so, you know, with the MMA, with the wrestling, with the jujitsu and stuff like that. Everything kind of, you know, the more kids you get involved into it, the better off they're going to be. But I, I know a lot of Muay Thai fighters who have made like a pretty successful transition over to, to the, to the MMA side of things, you know, and they make, you know, and they have so many fights growing up. Yeah. You know, a lot of it's like Loma had 200 plus 250 plus fights. They had Valentina was the same way. Heaps of fights. You know, a lot of these people have had heaps of fights you know, growing up and it's, you know, some of them it takes a bit longer to transition and some of them can pick on pretty, pick it up pretty quick, but um, they've been, they fought their whole life. So they understand how to have a proper scrap, you know. How have you found that? Like, would you still get nervous before watching one of your fighters fight or? Oh, that... of course, bro. still get nervous. I get more nervous before one of the boys fights than, than probably what I did used to get before wrestling. Like I used to get nervous for wrestling, but I mean, it's just for me, it's just, you know, because like I said, man, you have relationships with these guys. You've seen the time they put in, the work, the hours, what they went through, what they've sacrificed, everything like that. So, like, when they go out there, like, you know, they put a lot of it on the line and they, they've done a lot to get to this point. So, um, yeah, I'm always nervous, nervous, anxious, excited, um, all wrapped into one, you know, whether it's a girl or the guy. Um, that's just how I am. That's just my. I guess my personality and stuff like that. I just, I'm always going to be that way. Cause you know, it's personal for me, you know, at the end of the day, they're also my friends. So I want what's best for them. And, you know, I'm not really worried about knock on wood, somebody getting hurt. I mean, they sign up for it, you know, they sign up for it if they break a nose or get caught or get stitches or, you know, get in a certain position, but 
what sucks is when they lose and then they you, you see like you know how it affects them like you know these guys put a lot of time and effort and shit into this stuff man so when it doesn't go their way you know you feel for them you know i know that's part of it there's going to be a winner there's going to be a loser i understand that i know the game is full of this ups and downs and ups as much as you wanted to be this it ain't always going to be this but you know with that being said um, you still see what they go through because you're around them for the most part. And you kind of watch them live this certain way for a certain amount of time, you know, whether it be three months, leading up to the fight and sacrificing a lot, you know, away from their family and stuff like that. But yeah, man, that's just, that's just how it is. I'm going to get nervous regardless. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things. Like I suppose like before this podcast, you look at fights and stuff and you'll see there's two people fighting and it's out of your mind. But then from actually talking to these people and, and talking to the guys or girls, whoever it is, you realize that it's like, you know, it's a whole family, you know, that's that's affected by the outcomes. It is, man. Everybody's affected from, from you know, the family to the, you know, he's fighting for the gym, his country, his family, his friends, his self, most importantly. So there's a lot of people that go into it. And there's a lot of people that also, like, help contribute to help make things go how they want to go for the guy, for the girl, for the fighter. So. A lot of people play into effect of a big team that you see that's outside of it, you know, even outside of the gym, you know, family and friends, like I just mentioned, everybody has a role in this. So I want to talk to you about this as well. So how did your relationship with City Kickboxing come about? My relationship with City Kickboxing, I guess, kind of started through my brother. Um, my brother had trained with uh, Brad Waddell, had trained with Dan Hooker, had trained with Kai Car of France. He had known Israel. Um, he had known Eugene a bit. And then he had known, of course, they did him and Volkanovski did the tryouts the same year, 2014. And when I first came to Tiger, or excuse me, when I first visited Thailand in 2015, I stayed for like three and a half weeks. I met Brad. Um, I met Kai. And then um then when i moved over there like those guys would come over a bit and with brad and volk we just wrestled a lot you know it was always just all right boys 8 30 tomorrow i'll see you guys we'll wrestle three-man group however we got to do it and from there just kind of built um i met eugene once at the gym and then um in adelaide when um ty tyson and mark hunt fought kai was on that card and then they asked me if I wanted to come train them one morning. And I said, yeah, of course. So I went in and fuck me. And I wrestled, you know, all the boys. I wrestled Izzy, Brad, Vault, a couple others, my brother, you know. Um, and I guess it was just a good training session. And then when they asked, um, when he was supposed to fight Gastelum, um, Eugene had messaged me and said, hey, would you be willing to come over and help Izzy with his striking? No, nah, I'm just kidding. He's like, would you be willing to do some wrestling in that, you know, because he's a southpaw. And I said, yeah, of course. Told my brother and I was like, hey, man, this is a good opportunity for us. And then um, that was the rest was history. I went over for four weeks and that's when he fought Gaslam in Atlanta. Khalil was on that card. My brother was there and um, it was a it was a great card. Boys did awesome. And from there, it just started. Uh, I got back to Thailand, left again for two weeks, went back because Alex was fighting auto. Um, that went well, came back, and then went back again, because then Brad, Dan, and Izzy fought in Melbourne, came back, stayed for probably a week and a half, two weeks, went back, because when that's when uh, 
Volk fought Holloway, stayed for five weeks, came back, was home for about a week and a half, two weeks, and then went back. And then that's when Tafa fought in Houston, and then the boys fought in Auckland, and then two weeks after that, Izzy fought in um, Romero, and then got back. And then that's when all hell broke loose. That's when the whole COVID really fucked me over and everything. I'm kind of everything came to like a halt. And since since then, I hadn't I haven't been back to New Zealand. I've seen the boys in Flat Island. I've seen them in in America. I've seen them in Arizona. I'll see them in the, in the next month. But yeah, that's how the relationship came to be. You know, I went over and um, just whoever had a fight coming. You know, it was Izzy first, and then it was Vol. And it was all three of the boys. So, you know, it was just who am I wrestling? You know, I was just, you know, um, you know, they have their their wrestling coach, Andre Paulette, Rom Romanian, tremendous coach. He's done a great job with it. Um, you know, he's like their main wrestling coach and stuff. But, you know, when he wasn't there, I would kind of just like help with the wrestling and everything and then, you know, teach a few classes with them. They were doing the Wimp the Warriors. It was blowing up massive classes. So I was help running with the Wimps the Warriors and just, staying busy, staying active and just enjoying Auckland, New Zealand. You know, I think Auckland's a beautiful place to be. It's an awesome city. And I was really, I was really enjoying my time there. So, and now I'm fortunate enough now that I'm here, you know, a lot of times they, you know, Eugene and them can't get out. So if they can't get out, you know, for me, it's like, Oh, can you help the boys? And, you know, went down to with Jenna and help her in the PFL um, stuff like that. So um, yeah, the relationship we have is good, but it kind of really all started with my brother meeting him and stuff like that. Like, that's kind of how it first, like, kicked off. I was looking at Izzy's record in the UFC, like, and it was incredibly impressive. Like, you had Brunson, Silva, Gaslam, Whitaker, Romero, Costa, Jan, Vittori. It's a massive amount of names that he's yes. fought. Yeah, he's had quite the resume. Um He's definitely not not looked for an easy fight. That's for sure. He's he's done nothing but go after you know these fights that people don't think he could do. You know, like an example is Romero. Romero, you know, they say necessarily what next him on, but they were saying that we need if you fight a wrestler, you can't beat a wrestler. Well, you know, he beat Brunson, who's a great wrestler. You know, I'm very excited for Brunson's fight this weekend with two. Um, beat him, and then he beat you know Romero was the one that was going to beat him, and then it was you know the big guy Paul Costa. So. Um, yeah, Izzy doesn't shy away from a fight, you know, he's a, he's a true martial artist. He's, 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 his fight IQ is phenomenal. Um, he's in the position he is for a reason. And, you know, I don't know what they're going to do with his next fight. You know, I mean, they're still waiting to hear, I guess, with some stuff in the pipeline, but, you know, we'll see when, when that, when that comes along. Yeah, I was listening to an interview and it was with um, Masvidal and he was saying that his respect for Izzy shot through the roof. Whenever he agreed to fight Romero, he was like, no one wants to fight Romero ever. And as he was yeah. calling for that fight. Yeah. I mean, look, I know I wouldn't want to fight that guy. I mean, Romero's a scary individual, but, you know, he, as far as credential-wise for the UFC, once when he was in the UFC, he was a world champ. He was a silver medalist at the Olympics. He, he lost to Satyev, but he also beat Satyev in the world championship, who was – in my opinion, one of the best to ever do it, you know, from Russia. And to them, he's argued as the best to ever do it. And this guy was went one and one with him, you know. And so as far as on paper, yeah, his credential-wise, he was the best. So it was a hard fight going in. You know, he didn't give up 
he, he, he didn't give up a takedown. You know, he fought great. He won almost every round. Um, and it showed like his true level. And then from there, he kind of kept it going. So, you know, I was very happy with how things went in that fight because nobody really goes looking for that fight. But I guess it was something Izzy had to prove to himself. Before I let you go, I'd love for you to, to predict a few fights for me. Sure. So we'll start up with uh, Volk versus Brian Ortega. Oh. How do you see it going? Um, I just seen um, Volk being able to really pressure him and like kind of fight his fight, you know, with Holloway and stuff like that. It was a different fight because you couldn't really pressure Holloway. You have to be able to like, you got to be strategic and smart with how you go about Ortega, or excuse me, how you go about Holloway and, you know, his fighting because he's very crafty. And Ortega's crafty as well. He's a very good fighter. Uh, I just don't, in my opinion, and again, I'm biased, but I think that this is a fight where Volk can really, like, open up and put more pressure on him and really showcase a lot of the skills and capabilities of what he can do. Suppose you're going off Brian Ortega's last fight, which I think was the Korean Zombie. Yes, sir. And he, look, he looked very good. And obviously he, did very, he did look very good. Um, I don't think Volk's going to stand in front of you and like walk you down like by just standing in front of you, but you can't take nothing away from him. He did look good in his last fight. And since then, Korean Zombies changed it up and looked very good in his last fight. So um, I think um, – I still think that Volk's toolbox is – much more broad than Brian Ortega's. What was it like actually on the Ultimate Fighter? Do you think it was like a sort of a, a weird situation having the two guys so close together at times? No, not really. It was only weird if you made it. Like, yeah. At the end of the day, man, it wasn't, we were there for the boys. Like, we were there for the guys on the team to make sure that they got better and they tried to win their fights and they were, the, you know, we tried to push. We only, we had eight guys on our team, only two guys from each weight class are going to fight in the finale and only one guy each is from each division is going to get a contract. So you just hope and pray that you put all eight in the semis, all four in the finals. And then the last two, you know, it didn't work out that way, but we had the four finalists, the two champs, you know, Trey Sean Gore was supposed to be in the finals. He was replaced by Gil. He got hurt. Hope for a speedy recovery. He'll come back. He's a great athlete, but man, it was just, it was about the boys like that. You were just there just to help them and stuff and then get your training in on your own time when you could and stuff like that. And, you know, Volk made it, you know, he made it known. Like he told us, Hey, look, we're here for the boys. So let's put all our effort into this. We'll, we'll sort our own training when we need to. And that's what we did. Um, I think that was a great experience, man. They put us up in a good spot, trained twice a day with him. Then we did our own training and we were in Vegas where it was hot. And yeah, man, it was a good, you know, our team was good. We, we, we enjoyed the time. And then I'll ask you about this as well. So we have Nick Diaz versus Robbie Lawler. Nick Diaz. And how do you say playing out? I don't know. I just think he's going to come back and make a statement. You know, I think they're both legends in our sport. You know, Robbie Lawler, is a, he's a hard cop man. He's had some unbelievable fights. But I think that um, I think Diaz has something to prove in this uh, for the UFC. And I think he's going to have a good comeback fight. Do you think if Diaz wins, he gets a straight title shot? Nah, he shouldn't get a straight title shot. But do you not think with the, the age that we're in now, you can make an argument? No, I don't. <laughs> I mean, that's a you know that's the business side of things that I don't really like get to see. I just have an opinion on that stuff. But 
you know, I guess that's a decision on for Israel, you know, and his team to make it and, you know, his managers and stuff like that and his coaching staff. But, you know, for the most part, man, especially at 185, like if you come back in and you win one fight after, you know, being gone for so long, I just don't think – I just don't see how people can skip to the front of the line like that. It's unfortunate. Same thing with TJ Dillashaw. No disrespect. You know, he's a great fighter, but mm-hmm. he had the top – he got stripped of it. And then he comes back and he wins a fight. And I necessarily don't think he jumped to the front of the line. Um, that's my opinion. Again, I could be wrong, but, you know, there's a lot of people waiting in line for that. Yeah. Just sort of think that's it. It would just be a massive fight. Like, it would be a lot of money involved in that fight. What fight? The Diaz Adesanya, if it ever happened. Yeah, there'd be a lot of money involved in that bet, I would assume. Um, but I guess we'll have to see. Have to see. So, Robbie Lawler wins. Does he get a title shot? I can't see it. That's not fair. I'm not saying that. I, I just can't see that happening. But I think if, if Diaz wins... Money, it's yeah. Money, it's all about the money. So, again, <laughs> that money talks, man. Money make people do crazy things, you know. Um, especially in this business, you know, with a good name. And if you can draw pay per views, you got a much better chance of skipping the line. hundred percent. And then Jan versus Sterling. Jan. Again, how do you see it playing out? I think Jan will stop. Have you got a round for me? Mm, I don't. I would like it to be three or four, but I don't have a round. But I just hope it's a high pace fight. And uh, but I just think Jan. I think Jan gets it done. I think Jan really has something to prove <laughs> this time around. You know. And I don't think these fights. Well, I know this fight definitely hasn't been announced yet, but it's one that I'm really looking forward to when it eventually does happen. Kobe versus Usman. Oh, good fight. You can't bet against Usman though. Hard to bet against Usman, man, and he's he's only been looking better and better. Maybe you'll disagree with us, but I thought in the Kobe Usman fight, I thought Kobe looked very, very good up until the punch. Yeah, I, I definitely think, man, Kobe's a hard fight for anybody because his pressure is ruthless. He's just on you the whole time, and he, he, he your cardio better be in great shape. He doesn't give you much time to breathe, but to two wrestlers of that caliber, you know, it's going to make, especially with the bad blood, it's going to make for a good fight. I've got two more fights for you. I've got the winner. So I don't know who's going to win this, but I'll give you, I'll give you both. It's either going to be, I'd say Jones versus Francis or Jones versus Gain. Yeah. How do you see that going with, with obviously Francis and, Gain first, and then the winner of that. Who do you think that beat John Jones? Or I think the winner should be Stephen Miocic. Yeah, um, that would, yeah, that would be fair. Like. I would think it would be Stephen Miocic, um, but I know what the fans would rather see. So, you know, at the end of the day, I think the fans get the best of that. But it's hard to bet against Nagano. Man, he's such a physical specimen, and he's got one knockout power. But Cyril Gan is just. He's so well-rounded, man. He can beat you on the ground. He can. He's so elusive on his feet. He's a great kickboxing background, and he's he's also somebody who's a physical specimen himself. So, with that being said, man, that'll be a great fight. Um, 
think it's a hard fight to pick. Maybe Cyril Gunn. And then John Jones then? Could care less, mate. Not a fan? Cyril Gunn. Cyril Gunn. And then this is, this is the last thing I'm going to ask you about if it happens. McGregor nah. versus McGregor versus Poirier. Oh man, who do you want to win that? Well, I love McGregor, but I think very recently he's got very very dark. Yeah, yeah, just mm-hmm. lost the plot a bit. Yeah, I, I don't know. I just think the, I think back when he was fighting the featherweight, and then obviously going up for the the double champ. You know, a lot of his insults and stuff were like. Like they were above water, like you could argue, but then all the stuff lately, it's been getting very like almost some of the stuff was very political, yeah, and religious and stuff. And sometimes it's quite hard to you can't really support that, you know, nobody can. Yeah. So things just got quite dark. Yeah, um, I mean, again, what he's done for our sport is tremendous, man. You can't take that away from him. Boys have gotten an increased pay payday pay rate, brought more eyes to the sport. But this is my opinion. I don't really think he's a true lightweight. I think he's a featherweight. Mm-hmm. I mean, I thought, you know, again, I know he starts um, four years, six years ago, but, you know, that last fight in Abu Dhabi, you know, his whole demeanor changed a bit. And, um, you know, he, he got stopped in the second round. And this, you know, this one, he did get off some good leg kicks. You can't deny that. He got off a good shot, landed some leg kicks, but. As soon as like Poirier did like that, he does that like that hook where he steps over and he like boom boom and he hit him. He like kind of tagged him. And then he went for the kind of like went to grapple a bit. You know, it was a clear round for for Poirier. Um, but just looking at him frame wise, I thought Poirier was much more thick than what he was. Yeah, you could definitely tell with like the the shoulders and the back, like the width. Mate, Poirier, Poirier ain't small for that weight. He was he was proper. And he was thick, um, you know, but I think that's another, like we had talked before, that's a guy who could come in, start somebody and be right back in the mix, like because of his stardom, his star power, what he can bring to the table and the pay-per-views and the draws he can buy. But again, there's other people in that in line waiting. I'd like to see him fight, you know, one or two other, if, if that is the case and that happens again. Do I think there needs to be a rematch with him before year? I don't, not right now. You don't need to have another one. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you know, focus on healing your body, getting back to it, get back into like, you know, whatever it is that got you to where you were and stuff. And, but as far as that having a rematch right away, I don't think so. I think Poirier should fight. Um, what's his name for the belt? Uh, who has it right now? Charles Olivier. It'll be a great fight. Mm-hmm. And then kind of have like some vision for the rest of the division, kind of have like an avenue to go saying, all right, you know, Gaethje versus Chandler, that was happening. That's another good, you know, that's a great fight, right? That's something, Islam versus, you know, RDA, that's another one. Mm-hmm. So you can really start to, like, kind of this avenue that's going of what's going on, you know. You still got some other killers in that division. Dan Hooker's fighting a very good guy. Nasrat is tough. You got Brad, Brad Riddell. You got Rafael Fazio. You know, you have some heavy, heavy talent in that division to where you can really start – you can start making these matchups to where, all right, you win this, boom, 
you win one more, you're in. When you win this, boom, this may get you into the next, you know, next title shot and stuff like that. So you got some matchups, man. You got that Armand kid, um, you know, uh, who just, you know, I know Tiago Mo Moises or whatever just fought. Another guy's that um, the Kazakh kid, um, Demir is another one. So, you know, that, that, that division right there, that 155 was a very, very deep division. There's a lot of, a lot of heavy talent in that division. Yeah, the division's completely stacked. Um, what I thought the plan was at the very, very start, not that I know very much, but what I thought was going to happen was obviously he fought Cowboy and he looked very good. And then I thought the next fight after that was going to be uh, Sanchez. Yeah. That's what I thought the talk was. But then obviously there was a lot of stuff came out after that with his manager at the time. And yeah. then he took Poirier straight away. And I thought the argument at the time of taking the Poirier fight was like, is ring rust a real thing? You know, he's going in there with so many years off. And I don't think the Floyd Mayweather boxing thing. Yes, he got paid really, really well for that. But it took him completely away from MMA. But why, why should he, why would he have fought in Diego anyway? I thought that I thought that was the talk, you know. I thought that was yeah, but but uh, I understand what you're saying, but also him fighting Diego, like man, like that's not no no disrespect, but like you know, I just don't think that's like that have been like that smart of a fight to make. You know what I mean? Like um, it was crazy. It was crazy to me that he he got the Poirier fight. Yeah. Like right back, and then he was in the mix for he was in the hunt for a title fight right away. You know what I mean? Like, you know, because they teed it up like that. I'm assuming, you know, I, you know, again, the fans were the win on that one. But if he wins, he gets a title shot. If he loses, well, boom, there goes a the rubber match. Mm -hmm. So there goes the third fight. So, you know, everybody wins. And again, you know, he's a great fighter. He's tremendous for what he's done for the sport. But um. You know, disappointing they got hurt this last go around. But, you know, he's obviously got the best treatment, the best facilities, the best recovery and rehab in the world. So he's well on his way to getting back in it. And, you know, he, again, he's a guy with the star power he brings. He knocks somebody out in the top 15, maybe top 10. He's right back in the mix, right back in the hunt. Well, I could talk fights with you all day, but I'm going to let you go because I know you're a busy man. But thank you very much for your time. All good, brother. Thank you for having me.